Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. The mouse guy. Um, from living with Alex, I learned one thing, and you guys probably know this. When he says, that's not an exaggeration, it absolutely is an exaggeration. <laughs> Because you probably know that about him already. Uh, yeah, w- my wife and I, Emily, are here. We're from, we are from Blacksburg, Virginia. So if a y'all slips out, I'm sorry. I know that's not probably the vernacular y'all are used to. There it is. Um, so I, I do really am thankful to be here, uh, blessed to be here this morning. Um, love Alex. What he did left out of the story, and I'll just give this to you real quick. This is a freebie. Um, we didn't want to live together. Like, that's the thing. Like, we didn't want to. We both worked for the church, and they were like, hey, you guys want a free place to live? We're not really going to pay you anything, but if you want to live somewhere for free, you can do that. And, but here's the kicker. They, they told both of us that and didn't tell us that they told the other person that. So <laughs> we show up, and here's our roommates, and uh, our roommates, and this is what we're doing, and we're living together, and we both were like, all right, I guess we're just going to live in this terrible tiny house together. Uh, and uh, I think it's just a, a, a testament to what the Lord can do, even through situations like that, to where now I've got like a, a, a best friend, you know, that's been my friend for years and years. So if you ever have to room with somebody in a terrible tiny house infested with mice, maybe you'll be their best friend one day. It's possible. So uh, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 11 in your, in your Bibles, if you would. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at that passage and, and use it as a springboard to get to a couple of different places uh, this morning. <clears throat> um, have you ever been tired Tired? Are you you're tired right now? Like is that like a thing? Okay. Um, I think we you know you you understand what it's like to be physically exhausted. I, I know I do, and you probably have different ways that you medicate that physical exhaustion. Like some of you just start like you go straight to crying. Like that's what you do. You just go straight to crying. You get too tired. It's like a a level uh, that you just hit, and it's like all right, I'm going to start sobbing. And perhaps somebody that's like intimately related to me through marital vows, that might be their way of coping, may or may not. Uh, some of you may veg out, you know, that like Netflix like will tell you, hey, are you still watching? And in that moment of clarity where you have like the black screen and you can see your face with like Cheeto dust all over it, you're like, okay, I've been at this for 10 hours. Maybe I need to find some other way to rest. Whatever you do to like medicate your, your physical need for rest, we're all familiar with that. Like you, you know what it's like to be tired, I think. And, and, and yet, you may be aware in some way, if you're not completely cognizant of it, completely aware of a, of a deeper type of need for rest. Have you ever felt the kind of tired that just a nap doesn't fix or a 10-hour Netflix binge session doesn't do anything? It doesn't touch it. You're just still exhausted. Maybe it's because of a situation in your life. Maybe it's because of just life itself, which is difficult and draining. Like for some people, just every day, it's a drain. And you find yourself kind of just sitting on the couch or wherever, staring at a wall. It doesn't matter. It doesn't feel like it matters how much physical rest you get. Spiritually, you've got this soul weariness that you just can't shake. And I think that's the, the type of, of spiritual exhaustion that a Christian and somebody who's not a Christian can feel but has a hard time really putting their finger on it 
and even knowing what to do with that sort of feeling. Because, you know, if you're in churches, you know, and, and, and I know that, that, that you all here probably don't do this, but it's a temptation for every Christian to just act like everything's good, everything's fine. Like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm not tired. I'm not spiritually worn out. I'm good. But that's not a way to actually deal with and medicate this soul weariness, cure this soul weariness that can creep into the life of a Christian. So today we're going to look at this idea of spiritual rest, particularly spiritual rest as salvation. Because if we see salvation in Scripture, like when you come to know Jesus, what we're going to see is that primarily what he is calling you to is rest. When you come to know Jesus, he is primarily calling you to rest. So if you look in uh, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to go into verse 28. And this is a very common passage. Uh, You've probably read it before. You've had it memorized. Perhaps you've studied, read and studied the book that uh, gets its title from this, this passage. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is kind of interesting coming from Jesus, because in our culture today, you might be used to hearing calls to work harder, be better, do more, try to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be a better person. Like if something's not going right in your life, it's your fault, fix it, get Get something, new plan, new workout plan, new diet plan, new like, uh, maybe a new like calendar or like logbook would like help you out. You know, do any of you have like a stack of like five day planners and you do the first one and then you're like, okay, well that didn't work. But maybe if I get a new one, that'll help me get my life together. That's what we kind of feel in our hearts. It's like we we just got to do more, try harder, be better. But what Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says, listen, you come to me and I will give you what? Rest. I'm going to give you rest. So why does Jesus say this, which is kind of interesting. Why does Jesus say he's going to give us rest? And, and why even, and if you're a note taker, we're just going to ask two questions really this morning. Why and, and, and how? So the first question is why. Why does Jesus say we need this rest? Why do we need this rest to begin with. And so uh, you're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. So if you want to put your finger in Matthew 11, you're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. So this is the tail end of the creation account. And as we're reading here, it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So why did God rest? Why did he even like bake into the very fabric of creation rest? Like this is part of the creative work. It's not separated from it. He creates and then he rests. So why does he do this? Is it because he needs to? Was God worn out? I mean, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I really hope not. 
He doesn't need to rest. He's not physically tired. So God resting is not him resting in the sense that I am exhausted and I need a break, which you can relate to. What he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to cease from this one action of creating, and I'm going to begin another, a shifting, and this is important for us to get, a shift from creating to enjoying. He's shifting from a creative work to enjoying his creation. He didn't need to create a world. He didn't need to create you and me. He didn't need to do that. He wanted to. He chose to. And he wanted to then enjoy being with this creation that he had created and being with them in perfect harmony. So when it says that God rested, it is important for us to get that. Because he's not resting because he's tired. He's resting because he's shifting from creating to enjoying. Being with his creation, specifically being with people, human beings, whom he created because he wanted to create. And so this should illustrate or help illustrate, I think, for us the significance of this rest. There's a spiritual and communal aspect to this, like a a, a communal aspect in that God wanted to have community and fellowship with mankind, which is why he says, I'm going to rest so that I can shift into enjoying creation. And then you look down in, in Genesis 2, still, verse 15 We'll read a couple verses here. It says, The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you will surely die. Look at verse 15 real quick. The Lord God took the man and Depending on your translation, there may be a couple different words for that, but uh, put him, put him in the garden. Lord God took the man, put him in the garden. And this, this kind of has the idea of God hovering up in heaven and just kind of like taking man and just being like, all right, here you go, do something with that, I don't care. That's not the intent here. That's not the, the real meaning behind the word thing that is used in this passage. And if, if you have a Bible app or something, you can switch this translation. I mean, maybe you can look at it later. Or you can just trust me because I'm trustworthy. I know you don't know me, but I am. Uh, in the Young's literal translation, so in the literal sense of this word, uh, they translate they, this verse 15 as this. And there's a lot of takeths in this, so just buckle up, a lot of TH words. And Jehovah God taketh the man and causeth him to rest in the Garden of Eden, to serve it and to keep it. It's different from an impersonal sense of God just dropping man in the garden and saying, hey, you know, take care of that thing. It's God putting the man to rest in his proper place in the created order. It's much deeper than just dropping him off somewhere. It's him saying, I'm not just, I don't need a gardener. Like, I can do that. I don't need a drone or a worker. I'm putting you where you're supposed to be in the created order, resting in perfect relationship with me and me with you. So at this point, at the end of Genesis 2, everything's as it should be. It's amazing. God's dwelling in fellowship with his creation. His creation is worshiping and obeying him. Everything's awesome. If you know anything about the Bible, (laughs) you know that doesn't last very long. Like, literally the next chapter. Genesis 3, if you look there, 
uh, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And we know that question the serpent asks is, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. There's much more behind that question. There's much more behind that question than just, did God say you're not supposed to eat that thing? There's a question that, that, that goes at the root of what God had told human beings their purpose was. This is, your, this is what you're supposed to do. This is your place here. This question is questioning that. It's questioning what human beings are supposed to do and what human beings are supposed to be. And then if you continue reading, you see ultimately they, they, they do give in to temptation. They do the one thing that God had said that they were not supposed to do and ultimately are expelled from the Garden of Eden. And then you fast forward a bunch of years and here we are. And, and, and we still feel the effects of that moment here today. But Adam and Eve upset this balance by doing the one thing God had commanded them not to do. And this act of rebellion was man moving from his proper place in creation and and really, in essence, rejecting God's rest. It's what it is. It's him, it's man, seeing God having put him at rest in a certain place in the created order and then saying, nah, I'm good, I'm going to go do something else. Something that seems a little bit better. It's a little kind of audacious for man to declare he knows better than God. Kind of arrogant. Uh, we call that sin. That's the word we use for it, is, is sin. This, this thinking that we know better than God, rejecting what God has said for what we think is right. And, and, and we're right to say, you know, as you may have heard, that our sin separates us from God. That's true. But, but it really separates us from God's rest, like where he intends for you to be. Is a, is a different way of saying that. And so sometimes this restlessness that's felt by a weary soul can be a symptom of a heart that's just not submitted to God and his created order. Even if you are a follower of Jesus, you've lost focus, you've lost sight of what truly it means to be a child of God, living and being in the place where God wants you to be and resting as your primary action and identity. And here at the very beginning of time, we can see this origin of the same type of soul weariness, this restlessness that you might feel today, and that we see played out around our world and our culture as as, as people are searching for what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, and trying to find their place apart from God and the way that he created and his intention for it for us <clears throat> saint augustine uh, augustine and augustine i like augustine some people say augustine and so if you're one of those i'm sorry but in 400 a.d augustine said this famous quote you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So why do we need this rest? Why do we need this rest? Because there's a, there's a rebellion against the created order. Things are not the way they should be. And this leads to 
us, even as followers of Jesus are not wandering out from underneath what God has said is the intent for us to be. So that's why, well then, that's really not great news. So how then do we enter this rest? That's the good news. How do we enter this rest? That's the second question. To answer that, let's get back to Matthew chapter 11. So you've got that big chunk of the Bible you can flip back to, uh, Matthew chapter 11. And really the main storyline of the Bible is God's redemptive plan for mankind, culminating in Jesus coming to earth, living and dying for the sins of the world, and to bring us back into right relationship with God, back into rest. And so with this as context in Genesis 2 and 3 that we've read, this, this passage now, which we're going to read again in Matthew 11, perhaps might make more sense to you, might f- be, be filled out a, a, a bit in its meaning when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus describes salvation as a gift of rest, back in right relationship with God, back where we should be in submission to God. And he says this yoke, and if you're not familiar with a yoke, I know you got some farm country around here. I was raised on a farm, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you. A yoke is something that you use typically in for, for oxen in order for them to be able to pull a plow, pull a load or whatever. It goes around like their neck and their shoulders. And, and what he's saying is, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why is the yoke easy? Why is the burden light? Because it fits. It fits. It's the, the yoke that you were meant to wear as a human being. Let me say it like this. Ultimately, what it means to be human is for you to be in right relationship with God. That's what you were created for. And so when a human being tries to do anything else, it doesn't work. There's sin, there's brokenness, there's despair, there's the world that way we know it and experience it and see it. And even in your own heart, as a follower of Jesus, when you reject the idea of God's rest, resting where you are, you're not just denying who God is, but you're also denying what you were made to be as a human being, as we see in the beginning of Genesis. So this yoke is easy, and it's the burden is light. Not because the Christian life is always easy, you know that's not true, but because this, what Jesus has called us to, relationship with God, is what we were designed for. So the Christian life is hard, yes, but it should not be marked by misery, It can be a challenge, but it should not feel oppressive. The moment your walk with God becomes an oppressive misery, it might be a sign of a temptation for you to wander out of the rest of God. Walking through difficulty and trials is a reality of our life living in this world, and it can be a temptation to wander out from God's rest because you can still hear that serpent whispering in your ear, can't you? Did God really say We're tempted to believe there's something else out there, something better, some more perfect rest, just something else. But you've seen where that leads. You see where it has led. We've seen, you've seen the turmoil, the strife, the restlessness, the pain, and just the wandering, the wandering. And how could anything else be the case when creation rebels against its 
creator. Because again, as St. Augustine says, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's why this rest is so unique. It's not like other rests, you know, where you can do just kind of by yourself, you know, in your room with video games or Netflix or just staring at a wall. Maybe that's your thing. What this rest is tied to is relationship. You know, most of our rest, oftentimes, depending on kind of your, 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 your introvert, extrovert, or you're just selfish, you know, you like people when you like them and you don't like them when you don't. Uh, whatever you're at in that, depending on how you recharge, rest is primarily kind of just about you. It's individual in some sense. This rest is tied directly to a relationship. You always see perfect rest in Scripture being tied to God's presence. The two don't exist apart from each other. You can't have this kind of rest without God, without a relationship with God, without understanding who he's made you to be. And you can try to find all sorts of ways to rest without this, re- this relationship. Self-actualization, you know, really getting to know yourself really, really well. Positive imaging, morning affirmations, you know, standing up and telling yourself in the mirror in the morning who you are and who you're not. All of these things, you really are trying to, in some way, put your soul to rest apart from the Father, and how can creation rest apart from the Creator? You can't have this rest without God, and, and thus sin cannot be a part of this rest. You can't have this rest without repentance. His sin goes against God's character, His commands, who He is in His very being. Sin erodes creation itself. It causes weariness, exhaustion, wandering, pain, and suffering. It is the very expression of things not being the way that they should be. And so when we, even in our own hearts, feel this wandering, this sense of wandering, one thing that we can do and just ask ourselves, if if I entertaining or allowing something into my own heart that is not of God, am am I believing some lie that the culture is telling me that isn't how God has created the world to work? There's a lot of different ways that you might try to medicate this type of rest. Activity is one. If you just do a lot of stuff, especially if you do a lot of church stuff, then you don't have to think about it. If you're just busy with ministry, busy with doing things that feel right, that are good, you think that is what God really wants from you. What God wants from me primarily, is for me to just do as many things as I can for him. That's what he wants. And that'll, that'll help soothe this feeling that I've got. But that's not what God wants from you. God wants you to rest. God wants you to rest in him. That's what his, his primary directive is to you. But it's so difficult to do this. It's difficult to do this, and I think part of the reason is that we're so used to captivity that we don't really know how to embrace the freedom that Christ offers us. You know, like I mentioned, I was raised on a farm, and um, at one, one uh, uh, morning we woke up, and there was a, a, a small, like, I don't know if it was a, I don't know what happened. Part of the fence was down, okay? It was weird. And the fence is broken down, and it has all of our sheep in it. 
And so we go over and expecting all the sheep to go out. And all the sheep are in a circle, semicircle, staring at the broken fence, just looking at it. <laughs> We're like, you going you gonna to like try to escape? No, you're just looking at this thing. Like, oh, man, it's weird how that happened. They were so used to captivity, so used to a fence being there, they didn't know how to embrace the freedom that was being offered to them. And they were sheep, and they were idiots. And that's, I mean, we're called sheep a lot, so there's that. Are you so used to just doing things on your own, so used to activity, so used to trying to earn God's favor through activity, through doing things? Are you finding your identity in activity and things that you can do for God? Or are you finding your identity in things that are, you know, if you're honest with yourself, are not of God, that are sinful? Are you finding your identity in those sorts of things? Man, you're not going to find your rest in that. You can't. It's not possible. Because it's outside of what God has asked us to do. It's outside of who God has created us to be. And ultimately, we don't really get to define God for ourselves. We don't get to say what God wants from us. We already know that. We've seen it. We read it. And when God calls us primarily to rest, we need to accept that as being the heart of God. And not try to make God into one of our own kind of like just busy work type of people. So when you read Matthew 11, and you read all this stuff and it, about Jesus being gentle and lowly and burden, easy, yoke, light, all that stuff, do you really believe that? Like in your heart, do you believe that that's what being a Christian is all about? Because you might read it and just be like, that doesn't seem quite right. Like I don't, it's not my experience of being a Christian. Being a, being a Christian, what, and even if you're not, you may be like, that doesn't seem like what being a Christian is all about. It seems like being a Christian is just signing up to follow a lot of rules and like you don't get to have fun anymore, like that sort of thing. And I think that what that crisis may be in your heart is just not believing that God is really who he says he is and like what God really wants from you and from me. And I know that we can still hear that whisper in our hearts saying, did God really say, is this really who God is? And ultimately, really what it is, is this news really that good? Is this gospel really that good of a news that really what I'm called to do primarily is to rest in Christ? Is that what this is? Abide in Christ as we sang earlier. Is that what this whole thing is about? And I know we try to dress it up and give ourselves all sorts of legalistic things, try to be a better, do this, do that. But ultimately, man, we need to understand and realize that in the created order itself, God has called us to rest. So for you this morning, I don't have a 10-step way to rest in Christ or five steps to, you know, be less soul-weary or anything like that. But I would encourage you to do this one thing, one thing. Take time and just begin to allow this reality to work on your heart. That you coming to know Jesus in faith 
is a call by him to primarily rest. Do you do things for the Lord? Obviously, yes. Do you live in a way that is honoring to him? Yes, but you do so from a place of rest, knowing that you are secure, you are saved, and God delights in you as his child. And you are where you're supposed to be in relationship with God as a human being. Everything that it means to be human is to have a relationship with God and bear his image in that way. So for you this morning, be reminded and be comforted that the call is to rest. The call is to be who God has made you to be. Maybe that would comfort you and, and especially as we, as we go through so many different trials, temptations, struggles. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you're tempted to not rest, remember, this is what God has called for you to do. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.